welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Mike Monagle, director of industrial water and remediation at Angwell, and Tim Jaglinski, senior application engineer at Angwell, about industrial wastewater treatment. This episode is brought to you by Angwell. And now, on to the interview. Joined today by Mike Monagle, Director of Industrial Water and Remediation for Angwell, and Tim Jaglinski, Senior Application Engineer for Angwell. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. All right. Um, Angwell provides highly engineered environmental equipment and service solutions that help solve complex industrial air and water challenges across the globe. Third-generation family-owned company likes to tout the fact that they specialize in complexity where others have failed. Angle is committed to protecting the environment with unmatched engineering, innovative equipment, guaranteed compliance, and reliable service. And you guys are here to share some insight on industrial wastewater treatment trends, challenges, and tactics. Um, so let's talk about, uh, you know, aging infrastructure and the impact on compliance. And Mike, I was wondering if you could kind of define for us what that, you know, what that exactly means. Sure, sure. I kind of look at it as a multi, multiple legs on a stool. First, obviously, you got your treatment equipment in your in your plant, your facility. You're rusting out sensors and meters in um, are aging out and breaking. Automation essentially becomes non-existent after a while. That's that's part of it. The next part is kind of the people. One of the things we noticed and have heard from EHS managers is with COVID. Uh, a lot of their aging workers weren't coming back. And that essentially, uh, they're taking their tribal knowledge with them. And in these non-automated and older systems, that can be a potentially negative impact for that company. And then the big 10,000 pound gorilla is your, your publicly owned treatment works, your POTW. You know, they're facing, a lot of these POTWs are facing capacity issues due to growing users, higher volumes, you know, complex contaminants coming in, and that's really impacting their ability to effectively treat the water to handle the volumes and grow. So what we're seeing is companies facing tougher discharge standards, increasing surcharges to help help that POTW get to the next stage. And so that's kind of what I mean by that. And um, a good example of that, uh, we got a client here in the Midwest, a pickling client that kind of faced all three of these at one time. And Tim, do you want to share a little bit about that client? Sure, sure. And, and you know, just for people that don't know, it's, uh, you know, when we say pickling, that's metal pickling, right? So they're treating, or dealing with steel products and, and, and surface coatings. Um, and that facility is, it, who knows when they built it, it was probably back in the 20s. Uh, so you have, you know, it's just an old facility to begin with. Their wastewater treatment system was designed around a product line that they don't even produce anymore. So it had been completely retrofitted and, you know, changed and added on and subtracted to. Um, and with all the corrosives that they run through it, it'd been just, you could basically put your fingers through the side of some of the equipment. It had been uh, rotted out so bad. And again, the people that were there when they put it in, maybe in the 80s, are, I don't know, <clears throat> they're no longer there. So even the head of engineering, when he was running it a few times, is realizing like, hey, I don't know how this thing works. No one knows how this thing works. I can't check the guy down the nose why this you know knob goes to seven or doesn't go to seven. And um, and on top of that, their their POTW was starting to hand them you know much more stringent uh, requirements, and so he didn't know what to do, um, which is why I came looking for solutions from a company like ourselves. Yeah. All right. So how are EHS professionals facing these challenges? What are the risks that need to be considered? Yeah, well, I think we all know that EHS wants to be proactive by nature. 
that serves them best. But I think we can all admit that wastewater treatment is unique. It's, it's, it's a cost center. It's a burden. There's no strategic revenue value to it. So when budgeting process rolls around, it's typically getting you know scraps or really nothing. So a lot of EHS people, they're forced to be reactive and that has risk and, and EHS doesn't like risk. So, you know, system failures leads to process delays, increased cost, safety concerns. I mean, that facility that uh, Tim just mentioned, I mean, there was, there was fluids on the ground that are, are slip hazards and, and they were dealing with caustic chemicals that are dangerous manually. That's, that stuff is all stuff EHS professionals are, are, trying to make sure that they can resolve for the, to protect their company. Definitely, and we, we see, we're asked that all the time, how can we reduce chemical handling for the personnel? How can we make this simpler and safer? And, you know, it's one of those big things that we get asked a lot for retrofits, especially. Yeah. Um, so what are EHS professionals doing to mitigate that risk or what do you think they should be doing? Yeah, sure. Um, Although not glamorous or exciting by any means, the biggest thing that we try to push for and, and we take on is, you know, you've got to know your wastewater treatment operation inside and out. You know, let's start with the POTW. You know, if you're discharging to them, you want to have a good relationship, kind of ideally get any advance warning of changes or anything that might impact you. Um, then know your processes, any, you know, future potential changes to chemicals, volumes, potential change in cleaners that, from a SIP process, all that can potentially, if caught off guard, it can really catch you. And then back to that, you know, know your fees, your, your costs, your surcharges. Extend that, you know, to what would happen if your treatment system goes down. You know, what's gonna, what happens if, you know, the system just collapses and you've got all this water and you can't, you know, shut this, you gotta keep production going. What's that gonna do for you? So from that, even dive down even further and get to know your, you know, your system operator pretty well and, and have them show you the system in detail. What's working, what's not, the challenges and the shortcomings. I mean, uh, that's the best thing because they're dealing with it on a regular basis. And although they, they want job security and they probably maybe don't want to complain too much, you know, they, failing equipment can, can be detrimental. So know the cost basis, know the process, know your solid waste, your maintenance, et cetera. And then ideally by doing that, you're going to start to be able to kind of hopefully build a return on investment. So when it comes to budgeting or comes to, you know, the, to, to an opportunity to get some, you know, cash to replace something, you'll be in a better situation. And, and Tim, we just had the client in northern Wisconsin, for example, that didn't have any surcharges two years ago when we first talked with them. And now, now look at them. They're facing surcharges. Share a little on that landscape for us. Sure. I mean, that was, you know, that, that company, exactly like you said, Mike, was, you know, kind of just going along and not really paying attention to what was, what was happening. But the because of, of the other changes around them, that their POTW was suddenly having to impose new restrictions on, on everybody, which, you know, to pass that, that their treatment costs on to. And so suddenly you're sitting there going, oh, this is just water going down the drain, but now it's costing me an additional $70,000, $80,000 a year uh, because of the surcharges that have, they've just imposed. Now I've got to really do something. And, you know, luckily for them, they were able to put some equipment in to get that really kind of solved, you know, with an ROI of less than a year. But, you know, they weren't anticipating that and it became uh, almost a crisis for them because they couldn't shut down production and it, those costs were not going to go away. Um, I mean, there's, there's certainly there's more horror stories than that. Um, you know, the other company we were working with, Mike, where 
you know, same thing basically happened where they became, not only were they not getting surcharges, they were then violating the permit. Eventually, we were, they were not allowed to discharge the water at all. And suddenly they were hauling it off site for close to I mean, three to $5 million a year. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, because of their success, they were growing so rapidly and they never slowed down to put in a treatment system. So that's uh, eventually millions of dollars a year in hauling off the wastewater. So there's a lot of stories like that. And, and knowing those, you know, knowing your system, knowing the pros and cons, uh, you know, that's going to help get you the, the foundation that when you can get some budgeting, you can attack, it, attack ways to make that uh, effective, efficient, and reduce that risk. Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of time and effort involved in, in completing tasks like that. Um, you know, how do you, you know, if you're an EHS professional, how do you sort of balance that with all the other huge items that you have to work on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, EHS does have bigger things to deal with. That's for sure. And one of the other items that, that's, I think a lot of people probably can relate to is ESS, EHS has been seen, you know, a shortage of staff. Um, you know, for that reason, you know, and, and you can imagine our position, we're, we're, we're out there recommending all the time to bring in a partner like us to, or, you know, there's partners all over that you can come to lean on them, uh, help them validate your, you know, the concerns that are there, the risks to identify that and help, you know, that should be another good tool to help you internally get those funds and resources to, to obviously allow you to do your job right, you know, mitigate the risk for the company. Um, we always kind of, you know, get a partner that can walk your site. We love to walk the site and, and understand the process that's creating the wastewater and then look at your treatment system, you know, and identify and quantify those risks for you based on, you know, the experience that, that us and others have. And then ideally, you know, what you, what, what I think a lot of people are looking for is to develop a plan and let's develop that with you on, on your, your, you know, decision criteria, what's important to you, your C-level executives. And ideally, you know, what you want to get is a, a deliverable in my mind. You want to get a document that identifies those areas of high risk, the areas of opportunity, and you want to have some numbers on it. You know, and ideally, at a minimum, you've got a document, you've got a, a landscape, you know your costs, you've got this landscape on how to address it. And ideally, hopefully, you can, you know, go to battle with that during budgeting process and uh, not, not end up being reactive year after year. Yeah. Um, do you have any recent examples of how, um, you know, how this worked out? Um, I think I think a good real life example of that, Tim, I'm gonna let you talk about this one, is uh, the fabricator just outside of Chicago that we're been working with and still working with on projects. Oh, right, well, right. So so th those particular folks, um, you know, th there were some new people coming in the facility with, you know, with the turnover that they had. Uh, and they they recognized that they were you know they were going to go through a growth period. They were going to see some increased capacity on their production side, which then would then um, you know come down to the wastewater side as well because they're going to see more wastewater from the higher production. Uh, and they realized their system, which is really based around just an ion exchange um, system, that that was going to they were going to have to regenerate more and more often. It was going to increase the cost. They were going to have higher chemical handling. Um, they were running out of space for potentially more equipment, but yet they had to increase the throughput. So we were able to come down and look at their system and say, like, here's what, here are the steps you can take now today uh, to help you, uh, you know, increase your capacity, help optimize the system to run a little bit better. Um, but in the future, we also were able to take some of their wastewater, do some experiments in our wet lab to help them treat that water and reduce the overall loadings that their ion exchange system would see. Therefore, they'd have this kind of snowball effect of 
reduced ion, ion exchange regenerations, which is less chemicals, which is less handling, as well as less offsite wastewater hauling. They're still stuck with a little bit, but you can dramatically reduce that. So they were able to get ahead of it by you know, getting us on site, talking through the problem, letting us come, bring some potential solutions to the table, and, and really take a multi-pronged approach at, at solving their at, at solving their their problems. So they weren't you know penned into one thing, and it wasn't just hey we can only do this thing. Um, it was definitely a, a nice collaborative process to help them get to that, that right solution step. Well, and and just to kind of pile on there, the they came to us with what they thought was the only one option that they had to proceed, you know, that they had. And I think that the ability that we were like, oh, do you mind if we just kind of back this up and kind of go a little wider? And we did. And then as Tim alluded to, it allowed us to, I would say, more collaborate on, on the options. And I think they're obviously much more satisfied um, because we, you know, did add value and did it, you know, kind of share some things that maybe they weren't aware of. I don't want to, oversell, you know, sell that point, but it, it, the results were good. And I think the client would obviously attest to that. And that's, what's important. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, and that's the thing is that there are typically a lot of options to come up with a treatment system is there aren't just single solutions to any problem. A lot of them kind of overlap in this, you know, in, especially in the wastewater world, you know, you might have three or four technologies that kind of, you know, can sort of fit the bill in every case. And so you really do have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of each before you, uh, before you implement them. And following up on that, um, what advice do you have for uh, EHS managers who are looking to be more proactive when it comes to wastewater? And, you know, what are sort of some uh, lower hanging uh, fruit that they can start with, even when they're, you know, tough on time? Sure. Um, I think a couple that we've seen recently uh, are around OPEX. We've seen a couple where, you know, chemical costs have uh, are, are a huge cost when you you know, in certain processes, and we've looked at, at at optimizing it. How are you? You know, what are you doing now? Let's take a look at this. Let's do a little bench work, and let's see if we can optimize it and find something more cost effective. I mean, those have immediate return on investments, and that's really something that you're outsourcing for, you know, a very low dollar to to make those determinations. Um, the other side that that's always interesting, and and for some it's you know a bigger deal than others, and you got to kind of put yourself in there to weigh out if um, it makes sense, but solids handling, you know, uh, hauling costs are only going up. We expect that to continue. Um, so we see a lot of people with their solids disposal, you know, the wetter solid you put out there, the more weight it is. Um, are you really optimizing the solids handling solution and approach that you have? Um, again, solids handling, you know, there's, there's basically fully automated systems. And then there's some that you, you know, you've got that are more cost effective on the capital side, but operationally, your OPEX costs with human intervention, you know, opening up filter presses, you know, three, four times a day, that's a lot of human involvement in that. And that's a, you know, that's another cost that you could, there are ways to, 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 you know, lower if you're interested in looking at it. Um, I'd say, you know, and that's what you should ask partners about. See, we can help you kind of look at those things. Um, the other items I'd say is, you know, just look at what's broken or just not working well. You know, again, with your system operator, you know, manual operations, more broken equipment, those are causes for concern. And I definitely always encourage to make sure that you, you understand what that is, because like I said, I think those are underplayed a lot of it. And, you know, it's very prevalent for all the reasons we talked about that no one wants to put money there. 
And then, you know, know what you're going to do if you lose your operator. That's the other one that I think is, you know, definitely worthwhile. You know, what if that person wins the lottery or, you know, God forbid, gets hit by a bus? I mean, is there someone in your in your plant that can operate it? What if you extend that shift and, and you got to, you know, need, need, need an operator there? You know, you've got to get that tribal knowledge out of that individual out on paper and then figure out, you know, what your, you know, worst case scenario is going to be. And, um, you know, and, and then the final thing I would just say is, obviously, you get more time with this, but consider future expansion or, you know, something that comes up if is, is something going to change? Are we going to add a, that shift like I talked about and, and flows are going to increase? Can, do we have the capacity? You know, so look at, make sure you know your flows, discharge limits, surcharges, and, and all the impacts of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, but even as you went through all that stuff, it, it does seem still like, a, it, you know, it's a lot to take on if you're an EHS manager or, or a director. Uh, you know, what would you take, tell those folks who, you know, are saying that, you know, we've got enough on our plate, you know, how, how would they deal with all that? Yeah, I, and that's a good question, Jay. I would go back to kind of what I said is, is focus on finding yourself a quality partner. I mean, we hear, a few of the things we, we hear from EHS people on a regular basis is, you know, I, I'm worried about the compliance on TSS and BOD that went up. And, you know, I know my POTW said that was coming, you know, my, uh, my surcharges were up 100% over the last 18 months. Uh, my wastewater operator is going to retire. I, I'm not sure. Uh, my way, you know, like Tim was saying earlier, you know, my wastewater plant isn't going to last another year. Go back and get with that partner and they should be able to efficiently help you develop a, a plan and, and grab the decision criteria, grab those, uh, those the, the way that your company makes decisions, looks at these items. They should be able to come and put together a plan based on the exposure or risk. And that should be something that you can direct them, give them a little bit of your time, and they can provide that. And they should do that efficiently and cost effectively for you. And and back to kind of what Tim alluded to earlier, I just want to say that, you know, we really didn't talk too much about the, the impact of hauling wastewater. Now we've, we've seen a lot of clients that, that thought that was the only option for them. They're looking at those charges um, and they just keep going on. But I, I, I do want to share that a good partner can look at something like that and develop a path and plan for you. And, and Tim, to that point, uh, we have a client, two wastewaters that they were hauling off um, at great expense. They were moving a facility and also going to be growing at the same time. And they, out of kind of just a Hail Mary aspect, we received a call and I want to tell them a little bit about how we assisted them. Well, yeah, and 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 yes, and and you know, and one of the things I want to kind of want to pile on the on the hauling is that you know, unfortunately, a lot of companies kind of get caught in that rut where they they just that's what we do, right? We just haul the water and it, it, we we pay for it, and they don't take the time to really look at it in a comprehensive way. Luckily, this customer did, and they said, "Gosh, that's really costing us a lot of money. It's got to, and it's going to cost us more as we grow. So, what can we do about it?" And you know the. the by getting in early and having some good conversations with them and understanding their process, we were able to, to determine that we could actually split. The reason they have two wastewaters is we were determined that we could split their process where the waters are coming off their process into two separate streams, treating them both separately because they're very, very different. So before they were combining them and was one of the causing one of the reasons they couldn't treat it. 
But by getting in there early, say, don't take process A, put it over here, process B, put it over here. We can treat A differently than B. And now you can send them both, you know, nice treated water down the drain rather than having to send this combined. It was, it was a mess when combined, let's just call it that, um, you know, off in trucks every day or every, you know, every other day. So it was really just being able to get in there and understand what was going on, uh, work with the engineers to say, if you can just do a few changes here, we can give you a simple system for this and a more complicated system for that. But at least at the end of the day, you're going to have some uh, a good return on your investment, uh, even in, in a few years, in not less than a year, I think, for one of them. Yeah, one so, of those things. And, and to that point, back to what you were asking, Jay, they, um, the EHS person kind of inherited this and instead of just kind of, you know, just capitulating and saying we need to increase the budget for hauling, you know, they reached out. And, I, you know, again, there's a situation where really didn't think there was going to be any effort, but was at least taking the steps and then, you know, found out that, wow, this, you know, there, there is an option. And now he's, you know, looking kind of like a, a hero and not, you know, and created something without too much pain and, and getting an ROI and going to save the company quite a bit of money as they continue to grow and expand. So, um, it's a win-win. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, what are some other trends you guys are seeing that are challenging EHS managers and their companies? I'd say the one is the the buzzword the the environmental social governance aspect ESG you know we're you know industries are demanding more corporate responsibility and and um out of out of you know their their companies and clients and w with that we're seeing you know companies demanding suppliers don't you know don't don't violate any environmental codes and and be a real good steward to the community and uh, we work with a company that um, that that uh, kind of fell in that room, they got uh, or in that bucket, they, they got a call from a major supplier that they provided product to, a big box retailer. And w with their process, they, when they ran a certain process, they would routinely run over on, on a certain contaminant and have to pay the, the appropriate fine. The fine wasn't that much money, so they decided to continue on that process. Well, that is until they got a call from a retailer that had, uh, you know, that to fill out a compliance form, et cetera, that uh, keeps them, you know, on, in good standing with the retailer they're selling to. Well, it, it, they 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 uh, had to put that information in there. Well, they came back and said, "You need to correct this, and you have so long to correct it, or you run the risk of us not selling your product on your shelves." Well, you can imagine that caught everybody's attention, and that was something they they needed to adjust. And obviously, they you know they took that we helped them with that and that's the way it is but that's something that we're seeing more of and expect to see more of as we grow um so that's obviously one big thing and kind of mirroring on that and trying to be proactive to it we're starting to see the c-level execs um looking at more of these green and sustainability issues and to that one of them um that we get calls on is like we want to we want to reuse all our water we want to be zero liquid discharge and i think uh we love those calls because we want to help them but it's also the you know kind of a zero liquid discharge discharge can be extremely expensive um so tim you kind of have talked to a couple people uh on this specifically in regards to let's not go zero let's go near zero liquid discharge and can you kind of just give a little foundation for that uh, i think that that's been a 
uh, kind of a neat little thing that we've been working with, working with companies on. Right, right. And, and certainly, you know, the thing about buzzwords, right, a lot of the like zero liquid discharge is very easy to say, but, you know, not, it's very hard to do. Um, and, and that's where the, some of the gains that you might perceive from being a ZLD system, it, you lose in, in what's required to get there. You know, it's that point of diminishing returns that you, you really look at from a, from a total environmental impact, right? You say, okay, I want to be ZLD, but the, the energy input, the carbon footprint to get to ZLD kind of outweighs the benefits of, of going to that, to that point. Now, some places they don't have, um, you know, they don't have the ability to discharge to a POTW. They don't have the, you know, they don't want to discharge the surface water to avoid the complexities even associated with that, you know, and, and it makes sense in those cases, but in general, you know, the amount of equipment you need, the amount of additional maintenance that's going to be incurred, the amount, again, of energy input to, to get to a true ZLD is, is very, it's first off, capitally very expensive. Secondly, it becomes operationally expensive. And third, like I said, the carbon footprint becomes higher than what, you, what you're trying to do. You know, if you're trying to be a good environmental steward, you, know, that you have to take that whole holistic approach. And, and so we found that, you know, say, hey, take it to 70%, take it to 80% where it makes a lot of sense. Reuse your water a couple places, wash down cycles, things of that nature, where you get a lot of benefit from use of one or two or three cycles um, because you're limiting input and, of course, you're limiting output. And, and the treatment isn't, the, the equipment required to bring it to the level you need it isn't that extensive. Um, so that's, that's, it's taking that holistic look at things and making sure they're getting what they're trying you know, from an environmental standpoint, what are you really trying to accomplish and really get to that rather than just, you know, meet a buzzword? Right. right. I, it, it, when, you, when you graph that out from a cost perspective, the, the near zero compared to the zero, you know, the, it, it gives the EHS manager a chance to go back and, and kind of right the ship and say, you know, hey, you know, 70, 80% isn't bad. We can afford that. And, and you know, then obviously, as Tim said, the, the other impacts that are, are just negative impacts on the environment, which is counterproductive to the initiative. So it's, uh, we, we like to, you know, we're, we love to see companies caring about the environment and, and um, you know, willing to invest in, in being a better, you know, neighbor and steward to the community. But, uh, you know, sometimes you've, you've, you know, we want to be very direct, you know, with them, go through the exercise and make sure they understand the the, the, the potential impact, the, neg, the, the the pros as well as the cons to something like that. So those are those are some of the the, the the newer not newer trends, but trends that we've been seeing that our you know EHS managers and directors are 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 dealing with, and um, just wanted to share those, I guess. All right, well, Mike and Tim from Angle, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been great. Oh, our absolute pleasure. Yeah. We really appreciate yes. the opportunity. All right. That wraps up episode 87 of EHS on Tap. Thanks again to Angle for sponsoring this episode. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time.